Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Sherry DeNovo, former LGBTQ issues critic for the Ontario NDP, minister at Toronto's Trinity St. Paul's United Church, and host of the Radical Reverend on CIUT. Welcome to Shortcuts and happy Pride. Happy Pride, Jonathan, and a real pleasure to be here. Today on the show, David Johnson resigns because someone so-and-so was someone else's so-and-so and so on and so on, and these strange things happen all the time. And it seems that the far right has, for the time being, lost interest in Muslims and critical race theory and gone back to fixating on queer people with just the sort of consequences one would expect. How did this happen? I'm Jonathan Goldsby. This is Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to you by Michelle Bruce, Ariana Khan, Karen Langer, Greg Dubay, Anna Maria Kanuka, Coralie LaRue, John Sentel, and Theron. Hello, I'm Theron, a geologist and PhD student currently living on Vancouver Island. I support Canada Land because the podcast landscape is dominated by American perspectives and it is so refreshing to hear about Canadian issues. I don't think I've missed an episode in at least three years. I really enjoy the critical evaluation of other media coverage as a means to get my news and appreciate the platform given to Indigenous perspectives in Canada Landback and Thunder Bay. Keep up the great work. Special Rapporteur David Johnston has submitted his resignation to the Prime Minister. He says his objective was to build trust in our democratic institutions. But he added, given the highly partisan atmosphere around my appointment and work, my leadership has had the opposite effect. 
So on Wednesday, May 31st, the opposition parties in the House of Commons, which is to say a majority of the House of Commons, voted in favor of an NDP motion calling on former Governor General David Johnson to step down from his role as special rapporteur on foreign interference. And then late last Friday afternoon, June 9th, David Johnson did step down from his role as special rapporteur on foreign interference. But as so often happens in Canadian politics, the path from point A to its inevitable conclusion at point B was approximately as you know straightforward and riddled with foresight as an eight-year-old's best effort to chart a course to the pirate treasure at the end of a maze on a children's menu, perhaps at a nautical-themed restaurant called Navigators. Now, it's up to the parties to get together and draw up a whole new menu. Meanwhile, the RCMP's acting commissioner revealed to a Commons committee on Tuesday that they've opened more than 100 investigations into foreign interference, including alleged efforts to target three MPs, the Conservatives Michael Chong and Erin O'Toole and the NDP's Jenny Kwan. Before we get into all that, maybe it's worth asking, is there a point at which all this wrangling over and discussion over process, the who, what, where, when, why, how of candidates getting to the bottom of this, could become counterproductive to actually scrutinizing the substance of the allegations? Well, first of all, if you asked 100 Canadians just picked randomly off the street what their primary concern was politically, even federally, I doubt that one would Mm. point at this issue. Mm. So this talk about navigator, a tempest in a a very leaky boat here. Yeah, uh, it's a mess. It's it's full of political bungling, and the focus that it's getting is, to me, highly suspect as well, as if any superpower doesn't, you know, interfere in other people's politics. Mm -hmm. We don't have to look very far. I was thinking immediately about 2004 and Aristide in Haiti Mm. and how our own government orchestrated the overthrow of a democratically elected president there. You know, stuff like that. But, I mean, again... Are the Chinese probably interfering? Probably. Come on. Of course, they probably are. Um, should we look at it? Absolutely. Should it be a public inquiry? Probably. <laughs> yes. But first of all, the optics are not great. I personally hate it to see Jagmeet Singh mm-hmm. in uh, alliance of any sort with Polyev. <laughs> in our motion, we'll be calling for the House to vote on Mr. Johnson stepping aside as a special rapporteur in order to go about this process in a way that does reinstill confidence in our electoral system. So there's that. I mean, David Johnston, kind of a nice bureaucrat. Tories seemed to like him. Liberals seemed to like him before this mess happened. Seemed to, you know, play both parties pretty well. Uh, Does he have ties to liberals? Of course he does, probably. I mean, does any civil servant who's appointed to any task in any government have ties to that government? Show me one that doesn't. I mean, it used to be a joke at Queen's Park when I was there, for example, when a civil servant came to be interviewed by the committee that, you know, checked their vitals. And it would always inevitably, those days was a liberal government, a Tory would say, have you now or have you ever been a member of the Liberal Party? And we would all laugh because the answer was obviously yes in every instance. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Or else, you know, they sidestepped the issue. I mean, you know, political parties appoint their own in positions of power. Of course they do. So this is not a surprise or should it be in a situation like this where it's sensitive, got it. But again, do Canadians care about this? No, they don't. And one interesting thing is I feel like it's still, almost even regardless of the actual relevance, it still does offer a fascinating snapshot of almost what you described of this, how power works in Canada. And it's not even necessarily in a a bad or malevolent way. It's just like, oh, this is the kind of the country we have. So, 
Yeah, so like after the opposition, you know, passed the motion asking him to step down, he offered a polite nope. You know, he was given a mandate by the government, he said, and he, in- and he intended to fulfill it because, you know, he didn't – just like, well, I mean, I have integrity and I don't think that itself is the issue. The issue was that, you know, he was not as necessarily as unimpeachably independent as perhaps someone with, you know, independent in their title, an independent special rapporteur ought to be. I have heard clearly the disagreement with my recommendations not to call a public inquiry as well as allegations about my integrity and my independence. These allegations are, put simply, false. I will continue to invite disagreement on my recommendations, but will not be deterred from completing my work. And I just should just quickly run through this, that over the years, he and Trudeau had described each other as family friends. He'd been a member of the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation since 2018. The lawyer he'd retained to advise him on this, Sheila Block, is a liberal donor, several thousand dollars in the past 15 years. Uh, the lawyer he consulted to advise him on whether he was in conflict from the other stuff was a former Supreme Court justice, Frankie Iacobucci, who himself has worked with the Trudeau Foundation and is senior counsel at the same law firm at which Sheila Block is a partner, all of which, of course, provided opportunities for the opposition and for anyone to call into question his decision to recommend against holding a public inquiry. So I guess that sort of going back to what we were just discussing, do people in power like, just lack imagination or is escaping from these webs genuinely challenging? Well, I think it's uh, not so much that it's genuinely challenging is that, look, for example, at Senate appointments. Does anybody actually think that they are without partisan input? I mean, so again, appointments of any sort, yeah, I mean, this is just the ongoing reality, uh, and we can rage against the machine, Mm. and we should. It should not be that way, absolutely. But it has always been that way and probably will always be that way uh, short of a revolution, which probably should happen. So this is the reality. This is the the swamp in which politicians swim. And when it rises to the level of fury and coverage that this one did, yeah, it's probably politically motivated, not because they're partisan, but because somebody wants to keep this in the press. And my my question would be, if this is the lead story, what's not being covered? Why are we not looking somewhere else? Why are we looking at this? And why is it getting so many columns? And the other question, you're just coming, I mean, CSIS, like the shadowy organization oh, yeah. in the background, you know. I mean, you kind of wish this was a movie, but the script writers aren't very good if they, it, it, you know, if it was American, it'd be really thrilling at this point. Yes. But now it's just kind of messy and bureaucratic because well, it's Canadian. Canadian. Okay, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the capturing Canada right there. So again, it, it, it's messy and bureaucratic. And and this sort of question that kind of popped up, and not just me, apparently this guy Vincent Rigby, I don't know, no relative of Eleanor, I don't think, National Security Committee said, why isn't this like sort of a permanent committee that looks mm-hmm. at these things? I mean, probably a reasonable thought, you know, why, why isn't there somebody whose job it is, you know, committee with, you know, all parties present to look at these kinds of allegations when they arise? Again, I, I just want to bring it back to, is anybody naive enough to think that that we're not involved in other countries' elections and that other countries are not involved in other countries' elections and that this doesn't happen all the time? And yes, do we want to get to the bottom of it? Did money exchange hands? Did something like that happen? That, I think, would pique our interest. But at the level that it's being played at now, it's a political football, and I don't like the fact that the NDP is playing on the same side as the Conservatives. So let me read you a passage. For instance, when incidents of Chinese contact with Liberal MPs came to light, the Conservatives gained control of the narrative. 
arguing for a common-sense public investigation and asking questions about why the public was not notified earlier. The NDP, stuck between a rock and a hard place, supported the Conservatives' call for an independent commission, but did not go so far as to trigger an election. This was great for Polly as Conservatives. They had their calls for an inquiry rationalized while simultaneously getting to call out the NDP for their hypocrisy and not calling an election. That's from the book by the new book by Jamie Watt, the head of Navigator, which comes out today, today being Thursday, which I have I've only seen excerpts of this book. That's a collection of his columns for the Toronto Stars, as well as his own rebuttals to those columns. And that's part of a rebuttal to a recent column. Uh, because I've only seen little bits and pieces, I don't know if, you know, he reveals in there that he uh, that the company he runs has been you know involved in at least one party in this. In, in, in the issue that he's describing here, which is, I think, leads us to the next point, which is, well, even if we can accept this is all, then nothing that's ha- that I've mentioned so far is, like, unusual for Ottawa or unusual for any political sphere. What was it that led David Johnson to suddenly change his mind and say, fuck it, I'm, I'm out of here? Well, on June 2nd, the CBC reported that Johnson had retained Navigator to help him with communications advice and support. Navigator, Jamie Watt's company, is a full-service crisis management slash communication slash strategy slash lobbying firm run out of Toronto, but they got a bunch of offices that has its fingers in a lot of things and helps out a lot of people. In crisis management situations, it seems to be the go-to place that someone calls on a 24-hour line when something goes wrong and they're like, shit, I don't care how much money I need to spend. And I mean, indeed, it works out well because their tagline is when you can't afford to lose. So last Thursday, the Globe got a tip that Han Dong, the former or maybe future liberal MP who stepped back from the party, stepped out of the side of the caucus uh, after the uh, Global News had accused him of essentially treason. But he had also retained Navigator earlier this year. Neither Navigator nor Handong responded to the Globe's request for comments on this, but Johnson responded by immediately dropping Navigator with his spokesperson telling the Globe, the first Mr. Johnson heard of any relationship between Navigator and Handong was when we received your questions. Later that day, the spokesperson was able to clarify to the Globe that Navigator has confirmed that it was never working for Handong and Johnson at the same time. All of which is like, it's just, I mean, in one way, it's just more of these connections of like, okay, of course, everyone's going to know everyone and be involved. On the other hand, you know, like a law firm, for example, probably most law firms are extremely cautious on when taking on new clients. You know, they're very cautious of any perception of being seen to play multiple sides of an issue. It's not clear what ethical constraints by Navigator. And so there's this situation. Yeah, it takes the sort of this, this interrelationship thing to a whole other level. Don't call Navigator. There's there's, yeah. <laughs> there's something that comes out of this. I, I mean, I think calling Navigator, I, I really like call your mother before calling Navigator because uh, for a politician that immediately signals to the public, especially in this instance and particularly mm-hmm. because you know the press will pick it up, that there's something going on here that's not okay. So that is not what you want. So it defeats its own purpose in somebody to defend you and what is not okay. And the red flag is flown high and proud, you know, with that. So um, the fact that they were representing or seem to have been representing two sides in this <laughs> in this kerfuffle is even more of a reason. But I mean, you know, like, yeah, I mean, uh, Navigator, I mean, it, it's it's got that reputation, right? It's like when, you know, you're guilty and there's no place else to go and maybe even a lawyer can help you, then that's who you call. 
politically, not good. And and I certainly, it's no surprise to me that Johnson immediately, you know, resigned not lo- long after that happened because it was the wrong move. But again, another strategic blunder in a series of political strategic blunders, it seems to me. Good luck, Navigator, with your clients. I mean, surely he could have phoned somebody a little bit less conspicuous, a little bit more back room. Did he need advice? You know, a little maybe less expensive even. Who knows? You know, just, just you know, you need advice. You're in a tough spot. Call somebody that gives you some good advice. But yeah, no, wrong move. A, another wrong move. I mean, that's one of the things where, like, well, Navigator normally has a policy, and they seem to have it here, of never really confirming or denying who their clients are and never speaking to that. And so it only – we only get these sporadic things where it does come out in some sort of public process, and we are able to actually look at the, all these connections that maybe all already exist anyway, and we're suddenly being brought to the surface, and then they tend to – cause some problems. And I mean, the, probably the biggest insight we've gotten to Navigator so far was from the Inquiry into the Burdensy Act, which really gave an unusual amount of insight into how Navigator helped or assisted or at least was retained by the Ottawa police to sort of help them oversee and communicate uh, at the very least about that situation. If anything, it's a kind of it's an argument for an inquiry in this case, because uh, it, frankly, that inquiry showed like how much stuff you can actually get out of an inquiry, like the fact that all these things, all these connections, all these communications that would normally never become public in Canada, maybe they become public in the States and some other democracies. It's a way to bring that to the fore. And I feel like it actually, I don't know, it's, it's all rolling toward an inquiry that will present really they could present really shattering conclusions that won't actually change anything, probably. I mean, what do we think the inquiry... I mean, we could all speculate about what we think an inquiry will, mm-hmm. will show. I mean, I suspect, like, probably the majority of Canadians that it will show that there's been some interference. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do about it? And my suspicion is it will be business as usual unless money changes hands. And then... What do we do? What do you mean unless money changes hands? Well, it, 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 is, is there some foreign actor here paying, you know, contributing to the campaign, you know, uh, funds of various MP candidates? Is that happening? That would be my big question. If that is happening, can we prevent that from happening? Is that illegal? I'm not even sure of the legality of that. Like, all sorts of people contribute to all sorts of campaigns. Mm. They may not do it as the Chinese government. It's yeah. a quagmire, right? It's a quagmire. At the end of this quagmire... I mean, really, the only hope is that there'll be some charges laid. And the conservatives aren't interested in that, quite frankly. I mean, strategically, the conservatives are interested in just keeping this conversation going until the next election, keeping it going in some way, showing up the liberals as being in bed with the Chinese government in some way. That is the political aim of this inquiry for them. You know, it may backfire. They may find out that they've been paying, contributing, you know, Chinese, you know, foreigners have been contributing to conservatives as well. I mean, who knows? Why the focus? And who does it serve? Whose political interest does it serve? And I think it's pretty clear what the answer to that is. But at the end of the day, the average Canadian is making 50000 a year, can't pay their rent and can't feed themselves. They're bigger fish to fry. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. 
We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So, Sherry, on this show, we like to duly note things. I would like to note duly that... One of the Supreme Court of Canada's justices resigned this week in maybe not quite disgrace or scandal, but certainly controversy at the very least. And it's kind of an interesting another thing that this country that's not it just barely cracks the top five most interesting things that happened this week. Justice Russell Brown, who was uh, one of the more conservative members, a Harper appointee, sat on the bench since 2015. He'd been on leave since earlier this year when allegations came out around his conduct, basically at a hotel slash resort in Arizona in which he had allegedly harassed or at least made unwanted and allegedly intoxicated contact with some guests there while he was at the hotel to, I believe it was, give a speech in honor of another former Supreme, Canadian Supreme Court justice who's receiving an award deemed after a former American Supreme Court justice. Uh, he said, you know, because the allegations made against me are false, I had hoped this issue would be dispensed with quickly and would not significantly impact the court's business. He resigned just before um, the Canadian Judicial Council, which is like the oversight body, was going to announce they would hold an inquiry. It's always a weird, fun, interesting thing to remember that, like, unlike the United States where every Supreme Court justice is pretty much a known character, personality, people know generally what they look like, at least know their names, that in Canada, even most journalists, unless they specifically cover this, probably couldn't name more than two or three of them. I don't know. Is it almost a good thing that it that we don't care more or is this is this the system working as it should? I think it's a good thing we don't care more. I, I don't like the kind of personal stuff. I mean, we remember as queer folk that the personal stuff was always aimed at us. You know, why should we not kind of get a little squeamish when it's aimed at anybody? What do they do? What was their job performance like? Like, let's look at reality. I'm very glad that we don't have firms going through our garbage when we're in elected office. Uh, not yet, anyway. <laughs> and let's keep it that way. Duly noted. Ms. Sherry, what would you like to note, Duly? Well, I'm really fascinated with the rise of fascism, which oh, yes. is happening right around the world, but certainly south of the border and certainly here. So I'm very interested in how 
young people get attracted mm-hmm. to the far right. There's a great, great film. It's on Netflix. It's called The Hater. It's directed by Jan Komosa, oh, a Polish director, um, Polish film. And it shows really what happens for a brilliant, young, working-class man who is up against the elites, to use a word that seems to be yeah. in the political uh, lexicon these days, and how he is attracted and uses the right to further his own names. And they use him. And it's, it's just fascinating and it it's not a, docu- course, it's a documentary deal- or is it no it's okay. a film it's a yeah, and it and it actually deals very specifically with queer issues oh, in this film and it's in Poland so anybody who's followed the kind of Polish reality which is you know very interesting you oh, know yeah. you know over the years um will be fascinated by th- this kind of renaissance of filmmaking coming out of Poland this is a good one yeah i was actually just watching a, a piece on i think it was like a 10 minute piece on cbc the national the other day about how the invasion of Ukraine and Poland's response to that, welcoming Ukrainians, has had sort of thrown a wrench in the country's steady march toward the far right and toward authoritarianism. It hasn't stopped it, but it's complicated all of a sudden. And I just thought, thought that was so fascinating and I something I hadn't hadn't really considered. Yeah. So again, you've got the mixture in this film of young, bright. Uh, it also goes into the role of social media, which anybody on social a lot, as I tend to be, um, sees dramatically this rise of the right there and where it's coming from and what it's doing, bots and others. So fascinating film kind of stirs us, I hope, to action that we start speaking to our neighbors, especially the neighbors that don't agree with us or that indicate that they're maybe following, you know, mm. down that rabbit hole yeah. and following some somebody on social media that's, you know, a little yeah. to the right, because we all get our information from all sorts of places, that we talk to them, that we start, you know, reaching out across that divide, because otherwise, guess what happens? Julian did. Students tearing through pride posters and dancing on pride flags. Children of anti-trans demonstrators trampled on pride flags in front of a school. Hundreds walked out of their classrooms today in protest of the school board's refusal to fly the rainbow flag. Counter-protesters came to oppose billboard Chris. A review of a New Brunswick policy intended to protect LGBTQ students, some say, may now do the opposite. So... Eleven years ago this week, the Ontario legislature passed Toby's Act, your bill adding gender identity and gender expression as prohibited grounds of discrimination to Ontario's Human Rights Code. You co-sponsored it with the Liberals Yassir Nakvi and Progressive Conservative Christine Elliott. And speaking ahead of the third reading vote, Elliott, who was married to Jim Flaherty, then Stephen Harper's finance minister, said, I think this is one of those rare occasions when we can come together and actually do something for the people we serve. Uh, it breezed from first reading to royal assent in just four months in time for Pride. And I remember going to the Trans March that year and really actually year after year and seeing it grow each time, which I saw myself tweet you know, a few times over the years. It was like a literal march of progress. And so as we just heard, like those clips were from like three different places in the country. And I'm sure there's more. But just in just the past week and a half or two weeks or so, there's a large anti-trans protest in Ottawa that saw an NDP MPP getting injured. The premier of New Brunswick has said that he's willing to let his government fall over its plan to roll back protections for trans students, uh, requiring parental consent or mental health counseling for students under 16 who want to be called by a different name. We know there are vulnerable kids that uh, that need extra help and assistance, and and we think parents should be part of that. It, it potentially could call on force an election. The York Catholic District School Board just north of Toronto voted against flying the pride flag at its headquarters following some wildly heated meetings. And in Kelowna, a nine-year-old girl was allegedly harassed at a track meet by a man in his, like, 50s or 60s uh, who 
per Castanet News' headline, accused her of being trans. Maybe the first question is, what's changed in the past 11 years? Or maybe a better question is, like, have things changed a lot in the past 11 years? Or has there long been, like, this hysteria that's only now receiving mainstream recognition as troubling? Well, this is part of the larger move towards fascism. Let's just name it. And it's not just in the United States where it's very, very evident with the amount of legislation being put forward, but it's also around the world. And we see this, it tends to be spearheaded, but not always, by the Christian right. A little bit of good news, though. I was at Queen's Park just this last week, and uh, we, in 48 hours, got 500-plus faith leaders coming out of the Christian world just in Ontario, 12 different denominations, signing a unity letter of support for two. LGBTQIA plus mm. folk, and it was a strongly worded letter. Uh, so, you know, you're welcome in our churches, we're inclusive, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, you know, it wasn't just a generalized statement. And the first person up to speak was the head of the Ontario English Catholic Teachers mm. uh, Union, 44,000 teachers across Ontario, who made the pointed remark that pride flags should be flying at every Catholic school, and that 23 out of 29 boards were, in fact, in favor of flying pride flag. So this was kind of, you know, a rogue minority um, that were taking this position. Now, I followed her after that statement mm-hmm. on social media. Yeah. She got maliciously and horribly trolled, as one can imagine, mm-hmm. from stepping forward. I think, by and large, folk aren't there. I think, by and large, the progress that we've made, and over 50 years, I've seen it, you know, mm-hmm. steadily progressing, and the fact that, thank God, we had a conservative, Christine Elliott, who became deputy premier, with Ford's government, sign on to that bill. And it wasn't the only bill the conservatives mm. signed on to provincially mm-hmm. that were trans or queer positive. And thankfully, I remind people of that because if you call yourself a conservative, sorry, your party voted for this to be the law. So what we're seeing is a breaking of the law. We're seeing a breaking of, of uh, the human rights code here, and there should be ramifications for that, absolutely. Joel Harden getting, you know, socked in the face and then the back and forth around that, which is yeah, so, really quite horrendous in and of itself. Yeah, Joel um, Harden being mm-hmm. the, uh, yeah. the NDP MPP for one of the Ottawa ridings. Yeah, Ottawa Centre. Ottawa Centre, yeah. mm-hmm. who was at that protest and counter-protest in Ottawa and— was injured and yeah, he said he gotten punched and that he'd take a punch for queer and trans people at any day or queer and trans youth at any day, I think he said. Then the right started, you know, the usual places on the right, true north, et cetera, eventually laundering its way to the more right wing elements of the mainstream media, like the Toronto Sun, started questioning, like, well, was he actually punched? Was this video appears to show just the the megaphone he was holding being knocked into his face, you know, to the point where they're calling him uh, Jussie Harden, like, like Jussie Smollett. I mean, if someone bumped a megaphone to his face and it caused a gash, uh, I don't know. But I, I mean, he does. He maintains that he was punched, or at least forcefully whacked, or I think bunny punched is what he said. I don't even know what that is. But once again, it gets. In, it's kind of wild how doubt has even been cast on that. I, I mean, I what's know. so sad in all of this is we're talking about children. We're talking about little children, you know, little children that just want to be called by their real pronouns. Uh, uh, little mm-hmm. children, you know, children who want to wear a dress or don't want to dress in a dress, right? You know, little children at the end of the day who are being used as pawns by the far right in this. And also the other insidious aspect of this, you know, pushback against progress is the fact that they're trying to divide in Pride Month the queer community. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to, you know, LBG against tea, gays against groomers, these organizations which are clearly inventions of small groups of people and do not represent a lot of people, but hey, 
you know, they grab our attention, right, um, are trying to do a thin wedge here and and separate out trans and non-binary folk in a way that they think, and sadly it seems to be working, gets some pickup mm -hmm. from certain members of the community who don't really know these issues very well. So again, like, Reach out to your neighbors, folks. Speak up. Talk to people who indicate to you uh, that they're, you know, ask weird questions about, you know, you know, changing children's bodies. I mean, a certain uh, internet billionaire, I won't mention his name, um, you know, mm. came out and uh, supported criminalizing, which has happened in, of course, some states, gender-sensitive mm -hmm. health care for children, right? And said, well, no, children's bodies should be mutilated. This is the call from the right-wing folks. This is the fascist call. So, what does that mean? Like operations like correcting a cleft palate or a heart defect or other ways in which we amend bodies to save mm -hmm. people's lives aren't okay? I mean, so so again, this is... This is a narrative that has no substance in fact, that is being pushed uh, through social and other media, and your neighbors are hearing it. Our mm -hmm. neighbors are hearing it. It's not just in the United States anymore. It, they think, in New Brunswick will gain them an election victory. So that's mm. how pervasive they think that kind of thought process is, that transphobia is. So let's counter it, and don't be silent. Do not be silent. Speak to your neighbors. It's remarkable how quickly the right has sort of shifts its focus from one thing to the next, one fixation to the next, you know, from you know, Muslims or Islamists being an existential threat to Western civilization to, you know, critical race theory to vaccinations. And this suddenly, I mean, not that queer and trans people have ever been totally outside of their peripheral vision, but this one does seem very, does it seem to have cropped up really quickly. I'm sure it actually wasn't quick at all. I don't, that's been building for some time. But the fact that it suddenly spun on to an issue that, I guess, seemed to be unusually, if not settled, then at least the little discussions that were around it seemed to be so on the margins. And it seems to have definitely crept back into, crept back to the center. I mean, one reason I wanted to have you on, because I, I, one of the things I just, as I alluded to, the, the various bills you were able to get through the Ontario legislature, I mean, that was the fourth time I think you had got, you had attempted to get the that bill through. But when you when did go through, it was with all-party support. It wasn't like a unanimous, but it was all-party support. It was really fast. Similarly, a few years later, I think in 2015, I should note that my, my partner was working for you, filling in for Matt Leaf, working as your assistant at the time, you were able to really get through very, very quickly a bill banning conversion therapy. That was without any other party support, by the way. But but still, it, it, as, it passed the House. You know, it passed the House. So yeah, somebody voted manager. for it. Yeah. And so what struck me about those things, certainly at the time, is how quickly it happened and how little organized opposition there was. I went back and I looked at the committee hearing. There was one committee hearing for Toby's Act, which banned discrimination on gender identity and gender expression. And there, it didn't seem like there were any right-wing voices at all. It was all queer organizations, Queer Ontario, Trans Lobby Group, which is what it was called. And... One thing that I remember thinking at the time and thinking about more and more is how that was all able to get through. All these formal rights were established for trans people before the social conservatives got their shit together because this was simply not on their radar at all. It wasn't something that they'd ever given any thought to and it was outside their cosmology. Is that, do you get that sense that it was sort of, it was able to go through before the right even knew what this was? Mm, I don't know. I think with the rise of the right, really it's it sort of what the right did and, and really when we look at the Trump phenomenon, right-wing populism globally, these people existed always. These opinions existed always. What the right populist movement did was allow it to be said. Said it's okay to say it now. It's okay to let all of 
of your hatred shine. You know, it's finally okay to say what you were thinking all along about your queer neighbors. However egregious and awful it may seem, guess what? Lots of other people feel the same way. This is the fear. This is the rise of fascism. So it was always there. Charles McVitie, for example, a Christian leader, always came to uh, testify against any bill I brought forward that was queer positive. And so, again, this has always been there. They're amplifying it, and they're and they're giving it credence. They're giving it the green light. All of a sudden, it's okay to be transphobic. That's the only difference. And trust me, there's huge money behind this. I've been looking at some of the memes that the right wing are putting out aimed at all of us, all in the queer community, and there's huge money behind it. This is an advertising firm. These are slick mm. memes. These are slick designs. This is not somebody in their mother's basement. This is this is a concerted, well-funded effort. Why? Because it's working. That's the scary part. I guess my question is, like, definitely something that people had always maybe viscerally opposed, would they have had words for it? Would they have known what gender identity and gender expression were? Or at the time, was that something that they would have recognized as, oh, this is about transgender people or that transgender people, would they even know the word transgender? I think they probably had heard it and now they're angry about it because they've been told to be, but they were always, you know, the same people would have probably said, you know, going back just when Toby's bill was passed, it wasn't, you know, 11 years ago, they would have probably said there's only two biological sexes. It's male mm-hmm. and female. The same people would probably have said that, but they kept it to themselves because the overriding ethos of our culture at that point was acceptance or more towards mm-hmm. acceptance, right? But now they've stirred the pot. They've let the evil genie out of the bottle. And so now everybody gets to let their freak flag fly, as we used to say. But now, you know, there it is in our face now, what they were thinking all along. And this points to our educational system. It points to what's not happening in our schools. And not only not flying pride flags, but it also points to uh, the fact that we're preaching to our own choirs, especially with the with the rise of social media, mm-hmm. that we're getting our information from our own sources, that we're really living in different realities. And that's why I keep coming back to, please, please talk across that chasm. Please talk to your conservative neighbors. Have those difficult conversations with people because it's the only way that we're going to get beyond this. Pay attention to what your kids are learning in schools and help help inclusion along at that level. Keep speaking out to, please don't be silent. You know, it's the old Martin Luther quote, it's not the words of our enemies, it's the silence of our friends. Don't be silent, friends. Why do you think when the federal government introduced its own legislation, I guess for the third time, in around 2016, 2017, to add gender identity and gender expression to the Canada Human Rights Act, that it had a much rougher ride. Well, because the right was beginning to wake up. That's, that's The right was beginning thinking. to wake up that this could be the wedge issue that it's become because, of course, they hear from their farther right constituents. And of course, as we know, the Canadian conservatives have moved to the right. We're now the kind of Republicans north. So um, this, this worked in the States. It could work here. And guess what? Sadly, they're right. That's Shortcuts for this week. Thanks for joining me, Sherry. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jonathan, anytime. We are still amazingly on Twitter at Canada Land. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. I'm also still on Twitter at Goldsby. And you can, people can email me at jonathan at candleland.com if they would like to. Where can people find you, Sherry? Twitter. Uh, they can find me on Facebook. Or they can just find me at church. Hey, Trinity St. Paul's. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofo. Theme music is by so-called syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. 
We've got some very nice new merch on the Candleland store, including a dad cap described as both sleek and subtle, two adjectives you might not normally associate with Candleland. Go check it out. Head to CanadaLandStore.com. Purchases not only look good and support our journalism, but a portion from each goes to Journalists for Human Rights. Plus, if you're a Candleland supporter, you can use your discount code to get 20% off. Have you been listening to Common's latest season on hockey? You should probably check it out. The fourth episode just came out yesterday, and it's a powerful interview with Justin Davis that prompts the question, is this a sport or is this a cult? If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Candleland merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. And more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now, click the link in your show notes, or go to candleland.com join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Thank you for supporting Candleland. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.